0: You're listening to Achtung Millwall, broadcasting from the beautiful South
1: Bermondsey. Accept no substitute. Hello dear listeners, welcome to a mashup edition of Achtung Millwall, this very quiet, lovely Saturday afternoon as I'm recording these words to you. Why is it a mash-up? Well, I was sorting through some old files on my phone and fa- I actually found some audio that I'd recorded a while ago relating to uh, a random fixture, as is my want, and I'd forgotten I'd done this, so um, it's been sitting on the phone ever since, and I've been looking for a way to get it out to you listeners, so I, th- I thought, well, what the way to do it is to do another um, review show of some sort and then st- and tack it on the end, basically. So that's what I'm going to do today, so yeah, we'll, we'll, the second half of the show today will be a review of mill versus norwich from 1910 one of the last games that we played on the isle of dogs but for openers dear listeners i thought it might be worth marking the fact that this you know we're speaking a few weeks ahead of the 2022 to 23 season it's going to be a strange one of course with the world cup plonked in the, in the early part of it But uh, it struck me this actually thirty years ago. Thirty years for us, us oldens. That's incredible. Since we played our last season at Blow Lane, nineteen ninety two to ninety three, and I thought it might be worth just reviewing that. Also, quite a strange season, Um, one that sticks in my mind. Particularly, it was. It was in the end. It was a damp squib of a season, um, always underpinned by the. Um, was it a sense of impending doom? We were losing something, and the whole season was played out with that knowledge that this would be the last time that we'd all be coming to Cold Blow Lane, a place synonymous with Millwall. Um, never has been a club so aptly addressed as millwall fc the den colblow lane london se14 it just was almost too good you wouldn't if you were writing a fictional story dear listeners you probably wouldn't have gone that far with um pushing your luck with naming but there it was colblow lane wonderful wonderful address a unique stadium a place that still lives in my memory possibly your memory too if you have a certain Vintage and this season, 92-93, 30 years ago, would be our last um, played under the management of Mick McCarthy, who had taken over from Bruce Rioch in uh, ni- gone in March 1992. Um, Rioch is a rather maligned figure in Mill history. I personally, this is my theory for you, dear listener. I always felt he was a great finder and um, a, a kind of a judge of a player, a finder of talent. Uh, he had an eye for a player. Some of the names that feature in this 92-93 season would be, you know, even now, 30 years on, still, for me, uh, wet the appetite. But there were lesser known names. I, I, just looking at the opening day fixture of the 92-93 season, which was a game I was at, played at Watford. I've actually got a match report from it. It was a 3-1 loss, um, 15th of August, 1992, played at Vicarage Road. Um, but you look for the, the team that day, uh, Aidan Davidson in goal, he would compete with, with Casey Keller all season. Aidan Davidson was a very good goalkeeper in his own right. Apparently something of a character. I, I don't know him and I've, I've got no um, you know knowledge of that other than what I've seen and heard about him. since He's a good goalkeeper. Aidan Davison, he'd come in under RIOC. Um, this season will be managed um, by Mick McCarthy using RIOC's squad. And that's that's a theme that I want to come back to later in this little piece that I'm doing today. But Aiden Davison, then we've got Kenny Cunningham in defence. Ian Dawes, a stalwart of uh, the First Division days. Andy May, very good, solid midfielder. Colin Cooper, Colin Cooper, great, great uh, central defender. I think he came to us as a right back initially. Colin Cooper, but um, very strong, um, iconic figure of these these early nineties years, for me. Uh, Keith Stevens, Rhino, um, club legend. If um, if you want to use that term, and I do in Keith Stevens's case because of the amount of contribution, both as a player and as a manager and the great days that he was associated with our club. Andy Roberts, John McGinley, there's, there's, there's an example of Bruce Rioch's ability to find lesser-known players and um, use them very, very well. Malcolm Allen up front, great, great striker, Welsh striker. Chris Armstrong, um, who would actually leave us to go to Crystal Palace in a deal that would bring in Jamie Morley. who would finish this season as our top scorer, but he wasn't involved at this point on opening day. Phil Barber, uh, Paul Stevenson, and Alex Ray on the bench playing at number 14. This was um, notable, really, uh, and I do remember this game, um, A for the sending off of of Malcolm Allen, who got involved in some fisticuffs at uh, at Watford, which would come to grief, really, because we'd get beat 3-1 there. But um it was also the first game, if my memory serves, the first game played under the what was then the new back pass rule. You the goalkeeper wasn't allowed to collect the ball with his hands if the ball was played backwards from an outfield player. And it caused a bit of kerfuffle in this game and um it was some, you know, whilst players were getting used to this new rule. It sounds odd now because it's become such an accepted part of the game. Um but at that point it was it was it was a novelty. Just looking at the, uh, the the Sunday Mirror, Watford 3-1, penalty bust-up, sick Mick, says the match reports, sick Mick. Mill manager Mick McCarthy stayed silent on the two key decisions which cost his side dearly at Vicarage Road. Uh, the Lions had former Watford striker Malcolm Allen sent off for retaliation after just 13 minutes. Mill were leading at the time. I'd forgotten that we were leading at the time. Then we surrendered their advantage to a controversial 30th-minute penalty. Uh, Mick is quoted, I didn't see any incident, so I can't comment. But I would like to see the video, because that must be the Rocky Horror Show. (laughs) (laughs) Strange analogy. Um, He would like to see the video of the incident, because it must be the Rocky Horror Show. Um, Wolverhampton referee, Mr Singh. Gurnam Singh said there was an elbow referring to the penalty flare-up. Watford striker Lee Nogan finished with a black eye after Keith Stevens tried to shepherd the ball back to keeper Aidan Davidson, it says here. 3-1 loss in the end at Vicarage Road, and it would be indicative of a fairly um, unpredictable, at times brilliant, at mostly quite um, bland season, a very odd Middle mixture of a season, 92-93. We would work our way up the table. Uh, Obviously, with the new stadium being built at Zampa Road, I still think of it as a new stadium, even to this day. Uh, This was being built for Premier League football. The Premier League had just started in 92-93. We weren't featuring in it, but we had expectations to feature in this newfangled league, the new direction of football. And we would actually make quite a decent start to the 92 93 season. When you look through the, the results, yes, there was a bit of an unfortunate loss at, at Watford, but bit by bit, we'd hauled ourselves up the table um, via a decent League Cup uh, results. That asked, so we played Arsenal home and away, drawing both one each, uh, losing in the end on penalties, the lottery of penalties, a uh, game at Highbury, then a return game replay at, at uh, Cold Blow Lane. But mixed in, it was a decent 6-0 win over, over Notts County. Um, we've got wins, good wins here. 4-1 win over the Bristol City. We're scoring goals. Um, eventually, we would finish up in third place by the time that uh, Christmas would come around. Third place going into January. Um, a great, great 6-1 win over Brentford. Played on live television. Uh, ITV had the, the the live coverage. That's on YouTube. It's well worth a look for anyone that's not seen the, the coverage. It's real um, back down memory lane. Early 1990s. The the kits were fantastic. We were wearing a uh, Buxter kind of um, half blue half white shirt. Great shirt. Um, Casey Keller in gold by this stage. By the time we're getting towards Christmas. Wearing a very 1990s, almost uh, what they call those, like a, a puffer suit type thing. I can't remember the name of them now, but a very baggy kind of um, goalkeepers kit. A good win over over West Ham, home win over West Ham in front of twelve and a half thousand in November, led us up to um, prospects really for for doing well. We were placed third going into February. A great five-two win after the Brentford uh, victory, beat Brentford six-one. Then we followed it up a couple of weeks later with a Five-two win over Watford in front of just short of nine thousand uh, at home, and the expectation at that point was that we were looking to compete third place. But then, in a very Millwall style, as is the classic Millwall way, the we managed to contrive to get the wheels off off the season. Um, we could barely score a goal after that five-two thumping of of Watford in. Uh, Early February, the remainder of the month had passed with us struggling to find a net. 0-0, nil, 3 at Swindon, nil 4 at home to Barnsley. A thumping there by Barnsley. Um, we managed to get a draw out of Cambridge before, yeah, yet more, another draw, 0-0. It was it would be March until we'd start scoring goals again, 1-0 wins over Bristol and Derby, by which time the momentum had gone from the season, rather, listeners, we we were still in the mix, Fifth place as uh, we, we get to the business end in, in April. Fifth, but uh, once again, a poor, poor run of form would take a season where playoffs were were featuring, um, even if the sixth spot would have put us in with a shout of the Premier League. But in that classic Millwall style, we would fall away um, losses to, to, to Grimsby. Uh, An away loss at Leicester and a home loss to Newcastle pretty much put in pay to our season. Not even the standard one 0 win over Charlton would would serve to cheer us up, because by that stage we were going to uh, finish in seventh spot, but some six points shy of the of the playoff positions. Um, even the finale, the, the the apocalyptic grand finale of that h- final home game. At Cobble Lane, a game against Bristol Rovers, we had nothing to play for. We had only pride to play for. Um, and so we, I don't know whether they were on the piss all week, listeners, but uh, we contrived to produce an awful performance in front of 15,000 people who turned out to see this uh, momentous last game at the dead. It mattered to me. I, I was there... Um, in fact, it was one of those odd situations where I saw a picture posted on I think it was the House of Fun a while ago, where somebody had taken photos at the final game at the den. And lo and behold there was there was me in one of the shots sat on the on the terracing as we used to do before the game while the ground was filling up. It's one of those odd moments where you find yourself featuring in somebody else's memory. Um weird weird to see it. I've still got it, I kept it. Um, I might stick it online with this with this piece. Um the team for the final fixture um, that really did embarrass ourselves really with a 3-0 loss against uh Bristol in goal, Casey Keller. Uh Manning, who was Manning? I don't remember him. Paul Manning? Paul Manning, one one appearance and in a very Mick McCarthy style. His his final his one appearance was in the final game of Mills' history at, at Colburn Lane. Paul Manning, Dor- Ian Dawes, Andy Roberts, Colin Cooper, Gavin Maguire, remember the hairdresser from Portsmouth, Alex Ray, Jamie Morley, Malcolm Allen, John Goodman, great player John Goodman, Phil Barber, uh, and one of the first appearances for Etienne Verbier, and, and Tony Dolby, coming off the substitutes bench. Um, top scorer for the season would be, the aforesaid Jamie Morley, who'd come as a bit of a make-weight, in a deal that took Chris Armstrong to Crystal Palace, we'd, we'd acquired morally in return. 33 appearances and 15 goals. We'd give our right arm, listeners, for a striker with that kind of return now, wouldn't we? Second top scorer, Malcolm Allen. 34 appearances, 12 goals, Malcolm Allen. And John Goodman, 33 appearances with 12 goals. Um, goal scoring... Between those three, this, despite some dry patches, it was an odd mixture of big goals and then dry patches. Most appearances for the season, Ian indoors Mr. Reliable, 52. Casey Keller with 50. And Phil Barber, 51. We would finish in seventh position, as, as I've said. 46 games, um, 14 wins at home, six draws, three losses. Away from home, poor away form, really. This is where the season will get away from us, just four wins away. And ten draws, nine losses. We'd finish with seventy points, but six points shy of Leicester. Just to add um, pain, pain to the, uh, the 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 season. Newcastle and West Ham will be promoted, first and second position to the Premier League. Uh, we missed out. Um, playoff positions: Portsmouth, Tranmere, Swindon, and Leicester. I think I think Leicester won through. There was that not the the uh, the Steve Claridge goal. I could be wrong there. Check that one out, listeners. Going down. Here's, here's one for you, listeners. Going down with Brentford, Cambridge and Bristol Rovers to uh, the third tier. So there we are. Probably highlights of the season for me being that uh, wonderful, wonderful 6-1 win over Brentford. It was just a wonderful example of what football, some of the best football I've ever seen a Mill team play. It was passing... Uh, Diamond style, and it really, really clicked. Mick McCarthy managing Bruce Ryuk's squad. Um, for me, Mick McCarthy is always flattered to deceive. Um, I know he's gone a long way in the game, so he'd probably laugh at me, but um, I always felt this season was an indication that there was a certain lack of something to Mick McCarthy's, like the Emperor's new clothes, slightly, you know. He was at his best getting Bruce Rioch's team to play Bruce Rioch's football. He had maybe, at this point, some of the man skills, people skills that that Rioch slightly lacked. Um, There we are, the 1992-93 season. It would finish with a 3-0 loss. Um, And that isn't the whole story, because the fans, in their inimitable style, (laughs) took the day away from the players that hadn't given them anything and made it their own with a pitch invasion and uh, a wrecking of the pitch and the den. Uh, anything and everything was that, was that could be salvaged was grabbed. I even went on myself, and that's a rare thing in my life. I've not um, ever been one for running on the pitch. I did go on the pitch, got myself a chunk of den turf and took it home and put it in my front room where I was living at the time, and then a very quiet voice in my head said, ''What are you going to do with it now, Nick?'' Um, in the end, I think I chucked it away because so I didn't know what else to do with this piece of grass. Because actually, that's, like many things, we, we we kind of make icons out of things like places and material things, actually. In the end, as the pitch invasion and the anarchy of that May the 8th 1993 fixture, 3-0 loss to, to Bristol Rovers, showed nothing really matters. It's only the people, in the end, that make anything and it was the fans that made that day so memorable. A a game, a situation, not a game, a game I will forget, but a situation that I'll never forget. Um, Last game at the Den. All 30 years ago today, or not, 30 years ago this season, dear listeners, so I just thought it might be worth marking that ahead of the next few weeks. We start the season on on, uh, July 30th, home game against Stoke, but... It is a momentous um, period. The club changed irrevocably with the move away from Colborough. I and mean, for better and for worse, um, because the two go hand in hand. So there we are. I hope you enjoyed that little review of the 92-93 season. Um, I'm going to now take us over to the random fixture from the past that I dug out, the, the um, game against Norwich played in 1910 hope you enjoyed it and um, as i say, it's a bit of a mashup so um a tapas i'm gonna call it a tapas in keeping with new bermans is upbeat style so over to the uh, to the random fixture show now
0: Achtung, Achtung. Mehlwald
1: com slash ACAST. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Ach Mill, another random fixture show, dear listeners. In fact, this one is slightly um, out of date in a sense. I like to do these to relate to a date that's uh, coming up soon. Uh, and I did these notes um, prior to St. George's Day, 23rd of April. Um, and it does relate to a randomly chosen year, 1910, 23rd of April, 1910. Um, but I didn't get around to doing the show. I did the notes and then circumstances got in the way of me actually recording anything. So um, the notes have sat on my iPad ever since, going nowhere. But I thought it might be nice just to um, pick up the pieces and actually cover the gaming question that I found. Randomly chosen via random.org. Uh, as I say, 23rd of, of April, 1910. Millwall Athletic played Norwich City that day. We, it was a 3-0 win for the Dockers, um, soon to become the Lions. I don't know when if there's an exact period in that 1910 decade where we turned from the Dockers to the Lions. I think it was a gradual process over those 10 years. Uh, but this game was played in the Southern League of 1909-1910 uh, Southern League. Uh, it was a 3-0 win for the Lions, let's call them the Lions in front of just 3,000 people at the North Greenwich ground, which is, uh, as we've said in a few shows, and I'll repeat here, is nowadays in Millwall Park, right by Mudchute Station on the Dockland Light Railway um, just 3,000 turned out for this Saturday game uh, a 3-0 win over the Canaries um, not a great season for Millwall we'd finished 16th in the Southern League that season, and a big clue really is to one of the reasons why we'd come to leave the Isle of Dogs in that crowd number there, 3,000, quite low crowds. The island was um, heavily industrialised and unfortunately the there just weren't the numbers to support Mill continuing in their historic home. In fact, um, James Murray puts it um, quite nicely um, in these in famous uh, lines of the South book that Mill had outgrown the island, there just wasn't the population there to support the club, with which had ambitions um, that would lead on to the move to New Cross. Just six months later, in October 1910, of this game, played um, in April 23rd. I've got a match report here for you uh, from the man on the spot. That's great. There should be more. The return of pseudonyms in, in, in the press. So the man on the spot is the name of the, the, the nom de plume of the journalist who wrote this report in the East London Advertiser, the Tower Hamlets Independent, an East London Advertiser, uh, dated 23rd of April. And he says the Canaries paid their annual visit to North Greenwich on Saturday. Uh, the Lions were at full strength, so they're the Lions, according to the men on the spot. Um, Mill attacked immediately and three minutes from the start gained a corner. Semple took the kick and passed to Martin, who tipped it over Beale's head in the Norwich's goal for a 1-0. To Millwall, um, the, these reports of this of this period are quite wordy and often took a long while to tell you not very much, listeners. Um, so lots of words, but not an awful lot of description or minutes. You don't really get often get minutes of the of goal scoring. Um, their attack was the was only a brief duration. This is a Norwich attack was just a brief duration with Mill continuing to carry the ball down the wings. Martin um, falling upon a good centre. Registered the second goal 10 minutes from the start. So um, an early goal, it looks like, um, pretty much from the kickoff, near, near enough. And then a goal, second goal, 10 minutes into the game, is how I read that. Um, half-time score, Mill 2, Norwich City 0. Uh, and then it continues, wordy, wordy, wordy. Um, Mill registered their third goal after a scrimmage. There's a word you don't see very often in football reports. A scrimmage in the Norwich goal mouth when after Vincent had brought down Beale to the ground with a fast shot, Smith um, put the finishing touch and scored a good goal. I don't really It's quite hard to make out how that goal went in the net, but um, let's just say it was a Millwall goal during the course of the second half, having led at the break by two goals to nil. It would finish Millwall three, Norwich City nil. Now, as I've said, this was a Southern League game, of 1909-1910 Southern League. Um, The Southern League was coming to, although probably didn't know it at the time, it was coming towards the end of its glory period, really. The First World War would obviously change society generally and would lead to the, uh, in the post war period anyway, the inexorable rise rise of the Football League at the expense of the Southern League. But this, this season's competition was contested by what are today some big names, actually. I mean, Brighton would win the league. Came first with fifty nine points from forty two games. Swindon coming in second. Uh, Palace in seventh position. Southampton and Portsmouth fifth and sixth. West Ham ninth. Um, Brentford. Norwich would finish seventeenth. Mill finished sixteenth, as we've said. And being relegated to the Division Two of the Southern League this season was a, a, a club that no longer exists. Croydon Common and Reading finished rock bottom of the of the division. The Lions team this day has included a few names that are unfamiliar to me. One of the joys of doing these shows, listeners, is that you often come across names that you just haven't come across before. So in goal for Millwall was Carmichael. I'm going to come back to Carmichael later in, um, after we've, we've finished with the game. Uh, Stevenson, I think, would be a guy called General Stevenson. That was his actual name. Uh, and Geoffrey Frost. Geoffrey Frost, Wilson and Blythe. Garrett, Martin, Smith, Vincent and Semple, who supplied the corner mentioned in the in the match report earlier on. So I thought we might take a quick look at Semple and Carmichael, as they're both names that I haven't come across before, so always interested to see them. So Semple, William Semple, to give him his full name, known as Billy. Uh, I'm just looking at Neil's wonderful Who's Who book here, which is my go-to reference point these days for these players of, of the past. So Billy Semple, uh, a former minor, was a gifted winger, he says, with an excellent turn of speed, who won a Glasgow Senior Cup with Celtic in 1907. He spent one season in New Cross from Millwall, only missing three games before being replaced by Bert Lipsham, a member of the King's Regiment in the First World War. Um, he'd started a 51-year association with Southport in 1912 after leaving Uh, the den Um, and it would be the den in 1912 we would move uh, as I said six months after the game that we're talking about Uh, Billy won a Lancashire combination title in 1924 with Southport he became the assistant trainer and then coach of reserves before taking on uh, training responsibilities of the Southport first team in 1939 before finally becoming a groundsman a decade later Um, a Scottish uh, chap West West Meriston I think that's in Scotland, born in 1886, he would die in Southport in 1965, his career taking in clubs Baddieston, Thistle, Glen, Glencairn, Glasgow Celtic, Millwall Athletic in 1909, then he'd go to Carlisle United in July, just a few months after this particular game, uh, finishing up at Southport in 1912. He would guest for Rochdale during the course of the First World War. Uh, he made his debut for Millwall in 1909 in a 2-1 loss, a home loss against Southend United. So Billy Semple, supplier of the cross from the corner for one of the goals in this 3-0 win over Norwich. And the other name mentioned was Carmichael, who I see again referring to Neil's Who's Who book is one Harvey Carmichael, a goalkeeper, 1908 to 1911, played 82 games for Millwall. Born in Tillicoultry, which I'm going to guess is Scotland. Let me read the the biography. Harvey's goalkeeper began in 1902 for his local club, Tillicoultry, who he also captained a season uh, for them later. Um, He served two further years in Scottish junior football, so yes, Scottish, where he won some representative honours. He ventured south then uh, to join Grimsby Town, where he spent 18 months before becoming a Lion in 1908, um, one of a select band of Mill players to experience playing on both sides of the Thames, so obviously this game, he was in goal for uh, Mill in this game at North Greenwich, and he played in Mill's very last game on the island, before the move to the Den in October 1910, and then he played in the first match at New Cross, a defeat against Brighton. Um, Harvey then returned after his football career to Scotland, to his original blacksmith's trainer, blacksmith, that's great isn't it? Um, So, yeah, Harvey Carmichael, um, footballer and blacksmith. Don't come across that very often, dear listeners, do you? Now, we've just mentioned the move to New Cross, which would take place in October of 1910. This was actually, this game against Norwich would be one of the last games, uh, be the back end of the 1909 to 1910 season. We would move eventually, after a few false starts, in October 1910 southwards to the Den. Um, there's a great description of um, the old ground at North Greenwich in James Murray's book. Um, it describes it as having cloying mud and sand, cloying. So you can just picture it being like a like a bit of a quagmire, a very difficult ground for the groundsman to maintain. Um, I believe the Isle of Dogs was historically marshland before its use, increasing use for docks and in the industry, which would eventually force us away from the island. Um, so the low crowds we've mentioned on the island uh, also poor transport there was a railway line which would run along the same uh, line as the uh, same tracks as the as those used now for the, the Dockland Railway and I believe Mudchute Station is roughly speaking on the site of an older station called Mill Docks but it was very much freight um, it wasn't really geared around big passenger numbers so the ground was actually Uh, And the island itself was, um, both its strength was its sense of being marooned away from the rest of London, but also a sense that um, it wasn't for outsiders, which, um, I don't know, stop me if that sounds familiar, listeners. It's stayed with us ever since, really, one way or the other. Our strength and weakness all wrapped up into into one. And as we've said, James um, succinctly summarises Mill's plight on the island as having outgrown it. Having a been a fairly big side in 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 our day, winners of the Southern League a couple of times and um, some fairly major cup runs in the FA Cup, but move we would in in October. Um, but this game here was played in just three thousand. It's it's kind of sad. We'd finished 16th, as I said, in the Southern League in front of these just three thousand fans. Elsewhere in the East London the Advertiser, I'm always fascinated by these. Old newspapers, listeners, you can call me a saddo if you like. Go on then, you call me, mate. Um, but I can see there's the Essex Senior Cup final. That's a, a competition that still exists to this day. Um, Leighton Stone were playing South Wield at Upton Park in the Essex Senior Cup final. Um, QPR playing West Ham in the, in the Southern League at Park Royal. QPR, one um, of their previous grounds at Park Royal. Some rugby. Um, the great, great... <laughs> um advert here to have your portrait painted for your wife your baby or yourself uh seven and six an amazing offer it says look at the price again it says seven and six so have your your living portrait painted in oils why pay two guineas it asks indeed why pay two guineas when you can pay seven and six they'll work from a photograph this is done via the east london advertiser they must have had an an artist in residence that would work from photos um, and he wants to know or she possibly wants to know your color of your hair color of eyes complexion some descriptions working obviously from black and white photos seven and six to have your your portrait painted front page in these old adverts in these old papers covering the boroughs of stepney poplar and east london but the front page was adverts back in these these older papers Um, great advert here for gas the hygienic superiority of gaslighting the cheapest and the best the commercial gas company based in stepney east london Uh, professor vivian lewis finds that taking ordinary dwelling rooms lit by gas and and electric lamps respectively um when the rooms are occupied by two people the purity of the air in each case is equal i'm not sure about that professor lewis Uh, i think you might be having this for lemons there but um there we are this was the the old days, where gas lighting was the, the 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 new thing, gas power is much more cheap and efficient. Says another, the commercial gas company again, Ben Johnson Road in Stepney, they were based in. In the news, which would be on page uh, two of the newspaper, front page devoted to adverts, as we've said, um, below a big advert for Beecham's pills, we see that um, the Jews are to return to Palestine. Says the Zionist leader, as uh, here. David Woolfden, Wolfson, so there we are, 1910. Um, we've said on other shows that um, the wheel turns always to take you back to very similar starting points. Difficulties for the Jewish people in Russia, uh, Herr Wolfson described. These would be pogroms, uh, quite vicious um, attacks on, on the uh, the Jewish population of, of, of uh, Russia and Poland. Are Still issues that... Uh, you know, we, we speak of today and the Zionist movement was and is a desire to return to um, a, a a Jewish homeland. I'm picking my words very carefully because that's a hot potato which will become Israel in 1948. Um, Lord O'Hagan, elsewhere on the page, Lord O'Hagan secedes from the Liberal Party. Liberal Party was split, dear listeners, in 1910. The reason it was split right down the middle, as was Parliament, as was much of political life, was the uh, the introduction of the Liberals' People's Budget, um, which was a very controversial budget in 1909 to 1910 that uh, the, the, the House of Lords refused to pass, introduced by two young radicals, those radicals, David Lloyd George and one Winston Churchill, um, a budget that sought to increased taxes on the wealthy, and uh, to begin the, the first kind of uh, redistribution of wealth, pensions, and and uh, you know, the, the beginnings of what would come to be the welfare state later on in the century. Um, Lloyd George there and, and, and Winston Churchill, um, seen as um, provoking a controversy that would lead to a confrontation, political confrontation, between rights and powers of the House of Commons and those of the House of Lords who wish to block this um, increasing taxation, as they saw it. Um, giddy times, giddy times. And finally, there's a, a, I don't know if it's amusing or not really, it, uh, kind of amusing, a small piece here on the controversy in the London County Council. They would have positions, they're called aldermen, they were like, um, I think they were appointed or honorary positions on the council. Uh, but one of the ladies on the council objects to the term alderman, um, asking instead that she be described as alder woman. Alderwoman. Um it's one of women's minor grievances that the other half of huma- the other half of humanity has appropriated titles of sex distinction to various offices and professions, says Lady St Helia, who is an alderman of the County of London. But I'm gonna call her an Alder Woman because I think she was um Kind of on the money there. This would also be in the, the era of the suffragette movement, campaign for rights for women. Um, interesting to see these articles um, of this different time and uh, familiar and yet strange. Uh, there's an article here about um, uh, wearing females wearing low low cut neck necklines on their dresses. Um, uh, the, the devotees of the low cut, the low necked day gown um a, a painful exhibition this writer <laughs> done about that mate <laughs> he calls it a painful exhibition um anyway there we are that's 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 the uh, i think we've probably had enough of the tower hamlet's independent east london advertiser um so thank you for listening I've been, i wanted to do this these notes for a few days um and i've got round to it so i have got round to it now um Mill 3 Norwich City, nil, and a little bit of a glimpse into what was going on in the wider world outside of the Isle of Dogs. So uh, until the next edition of these random mill fixtures from the past, apologies, this one's a little bit past the St. George's Day target I wanted to get it out for, but there, you, there we are. Until the next edition, listeners, Arifadurci Millwall, and bye for now.
0: Achtung, Millwall